0: We have almost 2.5 billion monthly active players on our platform. It's like, it's, it's a third of the world population, yeah? But every single gameplay, everything gets, gets captured.
1: Welcome to Tech First with John Katsir. This is the podcast where we talk about tech that is changing the world, and we meet innovators who are shaping the future. This is a very special episode because I recently moderated a discussion at a conference called Interzone on artificial intelligence and how it's changing us and changing the world. We had some amazing people there. Uh, Dr. Denny Lang, who is a senior VP of AI at Unity Technologies, he's formerly led AI and machine learning at Uber and Amazon. We also had Dr. Cindy Gordon, who is the CEO of Sales Choice, and she's a contributor at Forbes, as am I. And we also had Bina Amanath, who's the executive director of Deloitte's AI Institute. We had a wide-ranging conversation on how much impact does AI have on our lives and on society, our culture, as a whole today. We talked about surveillance capitalism. We talked about reality bubbles. We talked about inclusion and normalization of bias and identification of what's real, deep fakes. And we ended about building responsible AI. It's a super interesting conversation. I hope you'll enjoy it. So today you could easily argue that AI is in some sense re-engineering the human experience, right? It's impacting the evolution of who we are, our societies, our nations. Uh, That's maybe not obvious to everybody, but many who are deep in technology can see it, right? If you look at music, AI chooses your next song on Spotify or Apple Music. uh, If you're going the default route and the the created stations that are, that are offered to you, if you look at social interaction, maybe that's on Facebook or maybe that's on Twitter or some other place, AI has a hand in choosing what we might see next, what friend we see next, what uh, update we see next, what photo we see next. If you look at news uh, algorithms and AI decide hey this person is probably interested in those types of updates maybe not that type of updates right if you look at entertainment on TikTok uh, AI is selecting the next video that i that i look at on YouTube AI has a hand in which video should we show this guy next obviously All of this happens within a universe that we help define in ways that are both intentional and unintentional, but there's always impacts, right? As Marshall McLuhan said, we shape our tools, then our tools shape us. And that's interesting if you think about it, because sometimes I wonder, hey, should I skip that song in Apple music? I like the song. I just don't want to listen to it right now. But if I skip it, am I training the algorithm to not play me that song again later? I better just listen to it now anyways. Or should I like that video on TikTok? It's pretty cool, but maybe a little bit juvenile. Uh, Do I really want to see more like that? Do I really want to train the algorithm to show me more and more and more of that? You know, it's funny with news. I use Flipboard, an app that presents news to me, right? And I typically use it to follow tech news because I write tech news. But I'm seeing more and more political news. And why is that? Am I clicking on more of that? Am I teaching the algorithm to show me more of that? Is it seeing others like me engage in more of that and saying, hey, this guy needs to see more of that as well? You can get a bit nuts. You can go a little bit conspiracy theory on this. And and I'm not saying that I'm all the way there uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Human agency still exists, right? I can choose the platforms I'm on and I can choose what I decide to click on or pay attention to. But even so, AI is increasingly a core factor in the texture and fabric of our reality and therefore the future that we're planting the seeds for right now. Is its influence healthy? Could it be healthier? If so, how? And how can we create an AI that serves all of us, not just the rich or the powerful or not just those of a certain gender or skin color? Can we make AI a force for emerging good or will it just entrench some social divisions that we've already created? There's so much to discuss here and there's some great people to do it with. We have some amazing panelists. I'll briefly introduce them. Bina Amananth is here. She is the executive director at Deloitte AI Institute and founder of Humans for AI. Uh, that sounds really, really cool. I'm not sure if she's able to make it. Enema Anand Kumar is uh, supposed to be here as well. She's the Director of Machine Learning Research at NVIDIA. And she wasn't here five minutes ago. I can't see right now if she's in or not. Hopefully she will join us. Dr. Cindy Gordon, however, is definitely with us. And she is the CEO of Sales Choice. She's also a contributor for AI leadership at Forbes. And another one who I'm not certain if she made it in, but she will be joining us, is Dr. Lavna Karoui, who is the global AI business growth leader at Google and a member of the MIT Technology Reviews Global Panel. We also have, last but not least, Dr. Danny Lang, who is a senior VP of AI at Unity Technologies, super smart guy, former head of machine learning at Uber and Amazon as well. So welcome panel, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate your time here. And I'm gonna dive right into the questions. Um, You know, as we look at what AI What's that impacting in our culture and our society? I guess one of the questions is, you know, how much influence does it have? How much of the economy does it influence already? The ads we see, the visibility of products or or even shipping algorithms, other things like that. I'm going to maybe go first, Cindy, to you and say, you know, what are you seeing there in terms of how much influence AI has in our economy today? Maybe our culture too. Well,
2: I think the most important observation, um, is, and first of all, thanks for putting this on, uh, Robert, John, and everybody else at at your team. The reality is, is that AI is permeating everything. um, And that's the starting point. So um, it's pervasive. And, you know, it's being used in so many ways for good. And I hope we stress that today. I mean, obviously, we can all talk about specific use cases where there are high risks, um, whether it's racial discrimination uh, in terms of insurance, uh, you know, uh, applications or bank loans. We've got lots of stories on those fronts. But you know, fundamentally, I think everybody here, every CEO, every member of a company, does need to understand this is, in some respects, I look at it as a foundation as important as learning about P You know, we had to learn in business school what profitability meant, what loss-making shipments are. The reality is that every executive uh, the board director, every CEO, every member of the leadership team, there is a role to play in AI for you. And we have to really look at how we can harness that energy. Even if you're a small business, it doesn't mean you've got enough data, but maybe you could be, uh, you know, using some of the more innovative applications to really um, reach the desired customers to grow. Um, so, you know, bottom line, I mean, I think the CEO of Google said that AI is, um, I think you said it's like the new oil. Um, quite frankly, I think it's bigger than that. Uh, you know, oil to me is, you know, is, is last year's story. Or <laughs> I, I, You know, I, I look at AI and I just simply think it, it's the new oxygen. And if you don't breathe it and understand it, uh, you will simply perish. And so, and I can say that with confidence because I've had to learn this field, right? I didn't start off in it but I've been immersed in it for 10 years. And, and so I've got more joy stories to share, but uh, yeah, those would be my opening comments. Uh, uh, it's very strategic and, and very fundamental to change and enablement and growth and making the world a better place.
1: I really like that. I mean, there's a lot that that we can say that's good as well. And um, we had a bit of a dark uh, opening, but there is there is a lot of positive as well. Uh, Bina, I wanna turn to you, same question. You know, What do you see in terms of the impact on the economy and culture for AI today?
3: I think it's pervasive. I think it is everywhere, and um, uh, you know, I echo what Cindy said um, that it is uh, like the new, uh, like oxygen for uh, every business. It doesn't matter what, uh, you know which space you are in, which industry or which sector. Um, you, uh, leveraging AI can help help that business, and uh, not only for, from being disruptive, but to thrive in the new era, the technology era that we are all entering. Uh, one thing I'll add is, you know, I, I know we hear a lot about uh, AI, you know, all the negative things that AI is doing. And I agree with uh, Cindy that, you know, there's a lot of positive that's being done by AI as well. Uh, you, uh, you know, when you, John, when you or this group talks about uh, transparency or how, you know, whether to listen to a song like that. And it's so interesting. I'm smiling when you're saying that because I'm listening to Christmas music. And yesterday I was going to skip one of the songs because it was just too peppy for me for, for late evening. And I was going to skip it. I said, no, 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 this is one of my favorite songs. If I skip it, maybe it won't Spotify won't ever show it to me again, right? So, you know, we are aware of it. But I think there's a large population out there who don't have that kind of knowledge that we do. And one of the biggest worries for me is, you know, having that basic AI literacy more easily accessible and really be enabling everybody to be part of the AI journey. So uh, it's absolutely a big factor in all our lives. I just don't think everybody knows it the way we do this group does right now.
1: I love the story that you told there, Bina, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retell a story I told in one of our prep meetings here. Uh, it, my mother is 85 years old. And um, she thinks that Facebook is like the newspaper in the 1980s or something like that. And she says, did you see on Facebook and insert something, right? You... <laughs> no, mom, <laughs> my Facebook is not your Facebook. <laughs> Danny, I want to turn to you. Um, we've talked about the, the impact of AI on our economy and our culture so far, and it's pervasive. It's like oxygen. Others have said it's also something that is a massive competitive advantage, and you've You've worked for multiple companies and led AI and machine learning for multiple companies. AI can be the difference between failure and success, right?
0: Yeah, I I, I think that uh, we cannot underestimate the impact of AI. Um, I want to give a small example uh, that uh, illustrates this very well. Uh, If you think about uh, Uber's ability to compete in the marketplace, At at the time I was at Uber, we were, I think, active in in a little over 500 cities. And uh, using uh, AI, using machine learning, using data, data data-driven approaches, we could go into a city and very, very quickly be more efficient in running the Uber vehicles than the local taxi companies, yeah? And, And you can, in a sense, say, all run out of data centers in San Jose, California, yeah? We could go in and compete with the local market, within the local market, against the locals who have been there for a century, Uh, and compete using this technology that they did not have access to, yeah. And and what's happening there is that 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 power of this technology is impacting the marketplace out in the in the furthest uh, corners of the world. And I, I think that we, we have to be extremely aware of that impact, yeah? That this technology enable a company in San Francisco to run a business in a South American city and compete locally and win that competition, yeah? And I know that I used Uber as an example and people can come up with all kinds of other reasons for why they're competitive, but at one point, the fact is that they're actually very efficient at getting the vehicle to you and then get you to your destination. They're very, very good at that. And they're that using technology for that. And that technology is machine learning. This is what we are talking about AI here. Yeah? Just one small example. We can go to Amazon and talk about competition with bookstores. Yeah? How can a bookstore, local bookstore, how can it not compete with Amazon? Well, because Amazon used technology that basically beat that local knowledge. Yeah? So you have these mega corporations uh, that I'm I'm working for have been working for yeah, uh, using technology to create an extremely personalized, localized experience, and I think that's the true impact of this technology.
1: Let us explore that just just a little deeper, um, Danny, because there's 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 what you said is absolutely true. The the, the AI that that Uber brought. Um, helps it compete and be extremely efficient, amazingly good at getting any of us from point A to point B, uh, often in, in conjunction with three or four other people and point C, D, E, F, G, and making it all work and, 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 and figure it out, right? So that, that is that is amazing. And that's a good thing in a lot of ways. And yet, and you said, as you have a, a nuanced view of it, there, there there, can be a cost, right? There can be a cost of maybe the drivers feel like an algorithm is controlling their lives. <laughs> AI is my boss, right? Yep. And, and there can be a cost in, um, doesn't matter whether it's San Francisco or whether it's uh, Korea or whether it's Germany, Berlin, Germany or something like that. There can be a cost where, okay, that efficiency comes in, who benefits from that increase of inefficiency, right? H- how do you manage that, Danny? How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you balance that increase of efficiency and, and, and ensure that people who actually deliver part of that service, part of that good, also benefit from that in a fair way? Yeah, uh, and that that that's actually a very
0: good question because if you don't take that into account, uh, these technologies, these algorithms are very efficient. They're very, very powerful. Uh, they also, Really, only do what they ask. You ask them to do. So, if you ask them to optimize for something, optimize for travel time, optimize for this, optimize for that. That's what they do. And and I laugh when you mentioned this about you. You wanna do? You wanna skip a song? I mean, like, yeah. If you have some really bad machine learning, some bad AI in 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 on Spotify, which you don't, uh, yeah. Now we'll skip that song forever. Yeah. But that, that's actually a bad. A-, a really good API is way more efficient. Yeah. It has. Exploration components to it, yeah. So even though you skip something several times, it will it will keep trying. It will really trying to to get to know you because that's sort of the purpose of this optimization function, yeah. Now the problem is that uh, too often that uh, that optimization function is is kept at a very uh, mechanical level at a very naive level. We just want you from A to B as fast as possible, yeah. Um, but what 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 about say sustainability? Yeah. I want you, I, I want that package at all cost at my door within 60 minutes. Yeah. The carbon footprint of that can be significant. Yeah? So if you don't put sustainability, if you don't put ethics and responsibility into your target, into your goal function, uh, then then you end up optimizing in a very one-dimensional way.
1: That's super insightful. And I've had uh, taxi drivers uh, back in the old days, let's put it maybe a decade, 15 years ago, who certainly optimized for their pocketbook and for the length of time I was in the cab (laughs) rather than for my my wallet or my speed of getting to my my uh, end goal. But I want to let Bina and and Cindy comment in on this before I switch the topic as well. I mean, Danny had some great points there. Any other insights that you want to bring out?
3: yeah maybe i'll uh, jump in and i'll, I'll provide a, you know a, a slightly different way to look at it um, having been in this space for a while and uh, uh, working across several industries right what what i th- you know one way i think about this uh, this whole era that we're living in in the context of ai is that you know, think of it as three parallel streams and each one is uh, flowing at a different pace one is the core technology right uh, of AI, it's machine learning, deep learning, quantum, that's the core technology itself is developing. Look, I studied in my university long time ago, a lot of the theory behind AI, but there was no way to apply it, right? Because we just didn't have access to compute power or data. So the core technology of AI itself is developing. And then there is a second stream, which is the applications of the technology, right? You can use machine learning in different functions, in different industries to do all kinds of things. That's the applications of the technology. And then the third stream is where I think about the consequences of the applications of the technology, right? When you are, this all, none of these are fully mature, fully baked out. There is no playbook which cuts across all these three. And in that third stream is the risks and consequences, the ethical aspects, the sustainability impacts, right? How do you think about all the consequences of using this technology, the health impacts, right? So I think thinking about it as three different streams and how do you look across all three as each one is growing at a different pace? How do you also make sure that you're mitigating the risk and the uh, implications of using that technology is something that we, as uh, as you know, society, need to start doing. Right? We do not know all the consequences because it's everything is still growing. Does that make sense, John?
1: It makes a ton of sense. And thank you for saying it. And I'm just looking at the clock and it's amazing because I know we have 90 minutes here and I was going like, whoa, how are we going to talk for 90 minutes? And I have like 10 questions. We covered the first one and we're 20 minutes in. So this is awesome. Uh, Cindy, last hits on that before we move on to a different topic.
2: I think the uh, short build for me would be you should really start not thinking of AI right out of the chute. You should be thinking about Where is my business? Where am I going? Uh, What problem could I solve with AI and get really crisp and clear on the value proposition? Uh, There's no question AI is incredibly efficient. There's so many different approaches you could take or different algorithms. But what I see happening is sometimes people are jumping on the bandwagon And not thinking through the reality is that this is not a technology stream like that Bina said, this is uh, requires muscle across, you know, legal understanding on the reputational risks. Um, It requires um, CEO and board director, maybe liability coverage, maybe they need to have some different insurance uh, that they haven't thought through. Um, the CFO needs to be alert in the sense of the risk management dimensions if there's bias in the data set. You know, I think what we've seen at this point is a lot of focus in the IT functions, um, you know, bringing on board analytics officers or chief data scientists. Uh, but if, if it's a progressive CEO, they will rep- have like Danny report to the CEO Uh, you know, it, this is really important to understand. And and so that would be the build. It echoes what Bina said, but really I'm stressing the, the problem set and the governance and the operating model. And, um, you know, and, and yeah, let's well, let's just close on that.
1: Uh, but we've seen that we are in the age, in some sense, of surveillance capitalism. We've seen the reality of the impact of reality bubbles in the U.S., but frankly, globally, we've see. I, I see it in Canada. I see it in many other countries as well. So, if AI is influencing so much of what we see, what we get, what we what we want, because what we're aware of is in the possibility, in the realm of the possible. What's that impact? What's the impact of that on individuals and society, and how does that change who we are, where we're going, and who benefits from that? Bina, first.
3: Yeah, yeah, and you know, I I think uh, that that's a great question. Uh, the, the the opportunity that I have being with Deloitte is really being able to look across all these industries, right? I, I have be, worked myself in, whether it's in the financial industry, in the industrial sector with manufacturing and field services, um, with, with uh, retail companies. So, you know, being able to look across all these industries and realizing the impact Uh, and the reality bubbles might differ based on the industry, right? We are, when we talk about AI ethics or the consequences of it, it does tend to go very quickly and fast down the path of transparency and bias, because that's where most of the media headlines tend to be. But honestly, if you are using AI in a factory floor to predict when a manufacturing machine might fail, Fairness and bias is not that important an impact or consequence or risk, right? What's more important is the reliability of the algorithm and the robustness, uh, security around it, right? Being able to think about these different aspects of uh, the uh, risk associated with ai based on the industry that it's being used in is super important and i think uh, what we've seen right now is it gets uh, we talk about these topics at a very broad at a very high level i think we have to evolve to that next uh, phase where we are going deep by domain by industry and which is which is what, what I do at Deloitte actually is to be able to look across these industries, identify those common themes, and then think through how do you put trust back at the center of these systems that we build and of the AI solutions that we're deploying at scale. Think not just about the technology aspect, but as Cindy said, the processes, the controls that need to be put in place, the people aspect, what kind of reskilling needs to be done. Ethics cannot be a one-person job in a company, right? You have to think about ethics-related training. As we deploy more AI, there is a technology and, you know, it tends to get focused on IT, but you have to think about empowering all your employees to think about the consequences of the technology, whether it's, whether they're the end users or the designers or the product managers, right? You have to be able to think of all the ways this technology could go wrong or, The negative impacts it could have, and be able to build that into the technology solution that you build with AI.
1: Danny, I want to turn to you on the same topic um, and just see what you think um, is is happening with reality bubbles and, and with people who have vastly different conceptions of what reality is, of what is true and what is false, and the role that AI uh, or algorithms ha- has played in that. What's your What's your opinion? Yeah, I I think that it's 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 probably more much
0: more disruptive than than at least until recently than most people thought it would be. I, I think think about uh, from an evolutionary perspective how we we are fine tuned through you know a few hundred thousand years to to live in tribes, live in small communities where. We know each other, and we have a, a memory of other individuals in the tribe. Um, and then think about what happened: is that that uh, society grew a lot, and and we became in many ways sort of estranged from each other, uh, and we we were anonymous for a long time. That that was not normal in nature to be anonymous, but now you were in the big city, and you could walk around and. You would know nobody and nobody would know you, but that was actually not natural, yeah? And what is happening now with, with AI being deployed and we live in, in especially during COVID and in online communities, yeah? <laughs> uh, it, it, it becomes very different, yeah? There's AIs who never forget, yeah? They, they capture every single movement, every decision, every click we make, yeah? And it gets remembered and it gets aligned with what everybody else is doing, yeah? So at this, at, at this point, uh, uh, we are in a very strange situation where there are systems out there in the big, big world and we are just one out of a billion users, yeah? I mean, like uh, at Unity, we, we have a gaming platform. We have almost 2.5 billion monthly active players on our platform. It's like, it's, it's a third of the world population, yeah? but every single gameplay, everything gets, gets captured, yeah? Uh, so that next time you come in and you play your game out of a billion people, we, we, we let you continue where you left off, yeah? Uh, so I think that we are coming back to, to the place in evolution where there's this closeness, but we just can't understand it because we think we're anonymous, yeah? But we are not. There are systems that constantly remember what we did yesterday when we come back and, 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 and continue that. They know us, uh, just like, like Uber can operate or Amazon can operate very efficiently. These systems, they, they built that, that micro-targeting mechanism that, uh, that basically eliminate that kind of uh, uh, anonymity that we, we were used to. It just doesn't exist any longer. Yeah?
1: Cindy, what's the impact of that? So the systems remember me. They know what I click on. They know what I spent five hours watching last weekend. What's the impact of that on what I think is true and real?
2: Well, there, um, this is a really deep conversation. Um, so one of the um, legal aspects that's emerging in discussions um, is I have the right to be anonymous. In other words, I have the right to choose if you are using my data. And if I want all my data connections that legally I should be able to switch off access to the universe. Well, that's pretty um, unrealistic. (laughs) Um, But that is one of the discussions is underway in a lot of the ethical communities is I have a right to be anonymous. How that ever gets institutionalized is, is, uh, is, is needs more, of my, more other brain power. Maybe Danny and Bina can tackle that one. <laughs> but I think that would be the, the first um, observation. I think the second is, is that there's a lot of amazing people around the world working on the ethical frameworks on this discussion, right? Like the European um, Commission released a paper in February. It's very good. Um, There's the Ethical Institute uh, that's in the US, Um, every major company, Deloitte, Ernst & Young, Accenture, you name them all, they all have their own transparent AI ethical frameworks that they're helping to move in. There's new audit approaches uh, coming at at, at full speed, IEEE is releasing new standards, so we are going to see more regulatory aspects on evaluating which models have higher risk, just like we've done before, you know, with large technology programs, we'd step back and there's formal risk structures, and they're just getting realigned. Um, Maybe the exciting part for me on the um, ethical side is, you know, we're training in the whole deployment of all the diverse skills and disciplines to come together to shape the ethical impact. And that's part of the gate process that you go through. Um, And that's what executives need to understand. I mean, AI will move in directions you choose to shape it, but beware of the consequences. Um, at the same time, there you know there are aspects of privacy that obviously we've, in some ways, we stifle innovation because of so much regulatory controls. I think AI is so clever and humans are so clever, we will find a way, uh, just like we've done you know, for, forever. We'll find a way to bring the balance of, of the good. I, I, I totally believe that. I'm more excited than I am worried. However, I am concerned about what China's doing with sense time. Um, I'm not sure Danny, Bina, if you're following, but, you know, facial recognition, you know, at every corner, everything I do, I leave my apartment, I know where I am in my car, you know, when I hit the bank, you know, what I bought, when you bring all of those tracking mechanisms, and they are very focused on doing this in incredible speed. You know, that to me, I'm start to worry about the consequence, the US has banned some of these technologies coming in. That being said, there, you know, people modify their business model, so they can still you know, move into different geos with different spins. So there's, there's a lot of good going on. Um, I've, I've got lots of good stories, but I'll save them for later. But yeah, it's, it's a really loaded discussion. It's pretty heavy.
1: <laughs> how, how does that relate to reality bubbles? Uh, because uh, I'm just going to take a contemporary example right now. You've got uh, probably 30 to 40% of the people in the US who care about politics, who believe um, that the recent election was a total fraud. You've got probably 30 to 40% um, who believe that it was not. And we have these different reality bubbles because they. some of it is self-selection. Some of it is uh, when once you select, all of a sudden that influences every other possible thing you see. So, what I'm asking here is primarily around reality bubbles and what the impact is. What 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 are your thoughts there, Cindy?
2: Well, I, I don't think I'll talk about the US election. I'll leave that for Bean and Danny. Um, no,
1: you don't have to talk about it specifically. I'm just talking about reality bubbles in general. Yeah, I don't care if it's I reality have, bubbles for well, no, like I big mean, eggs and I like small eggs or whatever, but th- that's the, the you know, it 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 has it has ramifications across many different um, areas, right?
2: Well, you know, the reality is is that we are in a world now where with deep fake Technologies and um, we can spread information that's not accurate. I think what AI will do is it will start to sweep and pull back, and it's already happening pull back all the crap to give the representative facts. So I would spin it around and say, if anything, if there's one technology that's going to eradicate these mystery bubbles is going to be AI because it's got the power and the ability and there's smart people who can figure it out. And when we, what we've done just with COVID alone in terms of a reality bubble, we're all in it together, but the speed that the worldwide communities come together and AI has been enabling us to do a lot of that and produce a vaccine in just record time, just look like we can do. So I'd spin it around and say, AI is just going to solve this problem.
1: Okay. Um, any other thoughts on that before we move on, Ina, Danny.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I would like yeah. to, to just add one thing here, um, around reality bubbles, which is that at the core AI is it, before AI. Yeah. Old fashioned software engineering is that you, you write a requirement spec. You want to achieve something, you write some code that does it. And it becomes static. Yeah. What comes in, goes out you know, that's it. Yeah. But, Machine learning and AI changed that. Yeah, it became a flywheel. It became a loop that data drives uh, behavior, and behavior feeds data back into the system, and the system sort of starts spinning and it starts optimizing. Suddenly, it's not it's not what the software engineer you know just designed. It's it's like it drives itself. Yeah, and it has this ability to to amplify. Yeah, and in that sense, if the system learns that I like certain news articles and I share them more than other news articles, uh, it starts, of course, starts feeding me more, more of those. And that's the loop, yeah. But now we're back to sort of the, the responsible part of it. The reason that uh, it, it has been going a bit, you know, overboard on, 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 in, 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 in social media, such as Facebook and Twitter, is that there's also a profit function in here, yeah? <laughs> that if the algorithm will learn that provocative news and polarizing news gets shared more and I spend more time interacting with it. So the, 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 the mechanical part of this system, yeah, figures very quickly, quickly figures out that profits increase with creating these bubbles. And that is now back to the problem, which is, should, you know, should Facebook and Twitter uh, just ignore that, which they have done for quite some time, yeah? And their business is actually going pretty well, yeah? I I just want to give, I know this is going to be borderline, yeah? But I'm going to give an example. There are two examples, yeah? Uh, Disney. uh, Disney and, and, and Lego are corporations that decided that they don't want too much uh, killing and blood and sex uh, in, their, in their entertainment. They decided, yeah? Uh, Netflix, they don't have uh, adult movies. They don't have pornography, yeah? It would probably sell a lot. They decided not to do that. If, if we had an algorithm running all of Netflix, I bet that you would have an adult section, yeah? It would just optimize profits, yeah. Uh, so I think that these reality bubbles are, are a, a, a consequence of a consequence of some irresponsible use of these technologies, yeah. That amplifies certain behavior because it is actually profitable. And whenever I read Facebook, whenever I read. It, I am not on Facebook, by the way, whenever I read about Facebook, whenever I, I hear Twitter, we're gonna combat this. I'm like, yeah, but then you're gonna, you're actually gonna kill your business model if you're gonna combat this. So you're probably not gonna combat it very much. Yes. So that's that's a problem.
1: Yes, wow. yes, yes, we will see. Excellent. Okay, we're gonna turn away from reality bubbles now. Uh, still an issue, um, and and but I think what you illuminated there is that who moves the dials, who pulls the levers, who tells the system what to optimize for, and that's a critical layer. And you need to make that decision as an executive, as a person, as a CEO, and and that is an ethical decision. Gonna move from from that area where you could argue there's sort of accidental, almost um, unintentional impacts of, of AI in reality bubbles, although, as we saw, there are intentional decisions behind it, and move to one where, uh, well, whether it's unintentional or intentional is also, is more obviously a direct challenge or problem. And that's inclusion and normalization of bias. And probably, I'm gonna start, Bina, with you on this one. If we build AI on how the world works today, that's our training data. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the input that we give the machine. You know, how can our AI not perpetuate bias and, and what can we do about it? Are, are any of us outside the system? Uh, you know, how do we determine what's biased and what's not biased? Can you talk about that briefly?
3: Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's something that's on top of mind for a lot of us, right? Um, and the, the reality is that uh, as humans, we all are biased. I'm biased. I mean, each one of us is biased because bias is based on our backgrounds, um, our cultural background, our educational background, how we grew up, right? So bias is actually what makes us interesting humans. We don't want all humans to be alike so i don't think you know bias can be removed from humans the challenge as you said is when you encode that bias if you encode my bias into a system and scale it out that's not a good thing even though i i think i'm a wonderful amazing person i don't think you want a, you know all systems to have my biases encoded so here, here is you know i'm having done this at large companies a few times around what i've realized is one of the easiest way to fix it is to bring diversity of thought into the teams that are uh, imagining designing developing testing ai solutions and that was actually the reason i started humans for ai is to really bring in more diversity we know there is a challenge of lack of diversity in tech, in STEM broadly, but with AI, I, I worry about it because if we don't have diversity of thought coming into the AI systems, then you know it, it's, it's gonna be very challenging for us to fix it, right? You need those different perspectives. And for me, diversity means different educational backgrounds. We don't want a, a data science team, which is just all PhDs in machine learning. You need different educational backgrounds different uh, economic backgrounds different geographical background now obviously different genders and races you know how do you bring uh, diverse perspectives the more diverse perspectives you bring to the table I think the more robust your AI solution will be um, so for me challenging biases is, is uh, on top of mind and I think uh, I am trying to solve it by addressing it more from the perspective of bringing diverse talent to the table.
1: Great point, Uh, I'm gonna turn to Danny next and and Sabina just talked about having a diverse team that is building the AI, that's great and that's wonderful, that's needed, that's absolutely necessary and it's not the case in a lot of situations right now. We also have the issue of training data and what training data do you feed your algorithm? Where do you get your training data? You know, and what's interesting, Danny, is that you and I were recently chatting on a different panel about synthetic data, right? Da- invented data, created data, um, which is a lot cheaper than real data and can be theoretically more diverse um, if, you're, if you're thinking that way. Is that potentially, a, maybe explain what it is um, a little bit. And then is that potentially a solution to having, training data that kind of levels the playing field yeah uh yeah so i'm I'm a huge proponent of synthetic
0: data it it solves a lot of problems um but not all of them we'll get back to that but it does solve privacy issues if i if i can can create synthetic data uh to train my machine learning system for i i i I don't need to in uh, invade people's privacy i I can uh, essentially create data that reflects the world as I would, I would like to see it and, and and right there is the magic and, and Venus said something very profound, which is that if you know with synthetic data that it's your responsibility to generate unbiased data, uh, realize how difficult that is. Yeah. I am I am. Very, t- you know, very focused when I create my teams that I actually have a lot of people on my teams that are different from me. I actually appreciate at least once a day thinking that someone suggests something, thinking that I think that's a stupid suggestion. And then I go home and <laughs> think about it. I'm like, oh, I get it. That was the perspective, yeah? I, I, I mean, like I worked for years at Microsoft, yeah? And we were all very similar, yeah? And we would all agree. Mm-hmm. Or we would agree with, a, with the loudest person in the room, yeah? <laughs> uh, but it has changed a lot. The environment mm-hmm. has changed a lot. And with synthetic data, you really need to think about, do I get all the, the different ways that, you know, let's take this as like for self-driving vehicles, and I want to be able to detect people uh, crossing the street, yeah? Now I need to de- really think about, Sizes of people, children. I need I need to generate as many children data as adult data, yeah, because that's how these system works. They are based on the training data. If I train on ten percent children and ninety percent adults, well, it will be better at detecting adults and it will kill more children. Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, so we need to look at that. We need to look at clothing, walking style, uh, skin colors. Yeah, we need to train on all kinds of skin colors. Yeah, and in that process, that's where you actually need a diverse team. You need to have people that say, "Oh, we forgot. Uh, you you forgot, yeah." Because I, I, let's let's you know what we talked about the other day is 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 basically, um, it's a uh, it's uh, it's disabled individuals, yeah. Oh, we need a train on that too. So with that, we, yep. we 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 that our vehicle can detect that as well, yeah. So diversity in teams becomes actually a business necessity. I do want to get back to training data, yeah? Because training data is the evil here, yeah? Training data reflects the real world, and the real world is not always a nice place, yeah? And what it does Mm -hmm. is that it leads to amplification, yeah? It needs, if if I take a a typical, you know, high uh, tech company, you know, 80% male software developers, yeah? What do you think the AI system is gonna learn about resumes, yeah? <laughs> that, boom, male software engineers is what we hire and we should hire more of them, yeah? It will amplify, yeah? Uh, and, and that's the real problem of training data. You can't just take the real world data, feed it in, wipe your hands and say, I've done my job. That's it's not working that way, yeah? Because the systems today are data driven and the data are not always representing the world as we would like to see it.
1: I absolutely love that. I mean, you're talking about self-driving cars and, and you think, okay, it needs to be recognized people. So you think, okay, you, a standard person walking, well, there's a person in a wheelchair, doesn't look like a person who's walking. There's a person who's uh, jogging in shorts and a t-shirt, doesn't look like a person in a hijab maybe. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, very, there's a person walking a bike uh, yeah. beside the road. Doesn't look like this, the, the, the stick figure yeah. person. Right. Very, very interesting. Uh, Cindy, chime in, please. Your thoughts on inclusion and normalization of bias with AI and how to, how to fix it.
2: Well, I think bottom line Danny nailed it you know, AI simply learns on the data, the testing set. So all eyes have to be on the quality of the data set. Um, You know, the synthetic data aspect helps you if in fact, everybody thinks carefully. So you're not taking representation of the real world but it does require a diverse inclusive team. I think Bina really highlighted and it's a huge issue if we don't get more women into the tech sector. I mean, in the sense of modeling um, you know, sort of, I'd say the things that women are really good at and the men then just in driving that more equitable diversity perspective. So there's a lot of concern on the UI design experiences to ensure that we create that, uh, and I think that better world for our, our, our children, our grandchildren, although I, don't, although I don't have grandchildren yet, one day maybe. Um, I think the other piece is, is that there are software frameworks. I mean, IBM does have a very comprehensive set of data bias software I think they've got 230 different probes so recognize this whole field of data bias I mean you're going to have scientists that that's all they do They're data bias gurus or, or you know baroness or barons and and that I think is a very important point um, like the risk is in that early stage and 80 percent often of building an AI program is in those early staging but as the world matures and we get into more synthetic data, like Danny said, there will be large warehouses of representative, clean, thought through. And, and so, you know, I do think we're eventually going to get this right because there's just so many committed people. Um, and, you know, the biggest risk is you got to train all these board directors and honestly CEOs because they're just not. I mean, I've been doing a lot of educational training um, to CEOs and and, you know, it, we have got a lot of work to do. <laughs> I mean, the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. I mean, companies are fortunate if they're able to hire <clears throat> brilliant people like Danny or Bina in to help. Uh, but we have a responsibility to uh, educate, uh, you know, our, uh, our key stakeholders that uh, help, you know, determine the investments. So.
1: Love that. Love that. Absolutely. And by the way, if you need us to send a note to some daughter or son about grandchildren and hurrying up, just let us know. We'll take care of it. It's, uh, it's coming. Oh, you're
2: offering your yeah. services. That's well. right.
1: You know, I, I consult <laughs> on multiple levels. Um, let's talk a little bit about deep fakes. Uh, somebody already broached the topic and I think we'll start with Danny on this one. You know, the question is, how good will deep fakes get? The question is also how good do they need to get? Because some (laughs) that are really bad already have significant impact, but we already see huge divides. We talked about reality bubbles. What impact will amazing, like almost impossible to to detect deep fakes have on controversial topics, political, social issues? And will we we already have some AI that's trying to identify deep fakes or maybe certify real footage? How big can the problem get here, and and how do we fix it, Danny? We'll start with you. Yeah, it's it, it's big. I've been
0: fortunate to to know the individual who actually invented the technology first. Uh, it's not a single person, but it was a small group, and uh, uh, invited them actually over to to Uber to give a talk uh, that uh, was very interesting for self driving vehicle objective. If you can, if you can, if you can show a stop sign, but stop sign uh, is manipulating the computer vision algorithm and the car will speed up instead things like that could be very dangerous uh, so i followed it from the very very beginning from from uh, from, from, from from the research uh, side and we're talking about 2015 to 16 and at that time it was uh, very very uh, i mean like it it worked but it didn't work very well uh in, in just five years, we have come to the point where the New York Times article last week with all the faces and synthetic faces, whoa, it's, uh, it's tricky. Yeah, it, it works really well. Uh, the, what we have to be aware of with deep fakes is that it sort of cooperates with our brain. Because the deep fakes are actually not perfect, they're improving a lot, but they're not perfect. But we as humans are really good at, fixing things that are sort of in the wrong place or missing. We, we don't see it. Yeah. Our brains fix that. And that makes deepfakes very efficient. However, it does also open up for the opportunity to detect, have machines detect fakes. Yeah. Uh, the overruling concern is here is that progress have been immense. And, uh, if it just continues for another five years, I do think that's going to be very difficult to detect deep fakes systematically. And that's a great concern because now what is real and what is not real, we're yeah. going to be unable to use what evolution taught us. What we see is the truth is no longer going to be the truth. Yeah, And that's, will have that's to a huge
1: new- challenge. We'll have to establish new evidentiary standards. Um, You know, uh, seeing the video is already problematic. Uh, Hearing the tape is already problematic. Uh, Bina, how about uh, you dive in on this topic, your thoughts?
3: Yeah, no, I I agree with Danny. I think that that technology is just going to keep growing rapidly. But uh, like Cindy, I'm an AI optimist, and I'm going to bet on humans you know try, uh, you know th- that technology will grow but the uh, the consequences the impacts and mitigating that impact of the technology being able to detect deep fakes trust me there's a lot of startups working on it there's a lot of work going on in that space uh, now you know how fast do each does each one grow and uh, you know is there a period of catch up um, you know, probably so. but you know, I, I do think that we will be able to get beyond it and exactly by using AI and technologies uh, technology itself to be able to detect and uh, pull down deep fakes. The other aspect I'll bring is you know we, we do have to um, think about the policies and regulations that still need to build, be built for a lot of these technologies, right? The applications of the technology. Um, so, how do we, you know, we, we we are seeing a lot of progress in there, but how do we get the right voices to the table to drive the acceleration of developing those policies? Um, I think that's that's going to be another crucial factor. The technology to identify and uh, remove deepfakes, but then the policies around deepfakes. If you develop a technology like that, should it even be released? Is there a way to pull it back? what are the regulations around it? Can, can you know can it be used in every is there is there a scenario where it can be used? Um, so you know there are so many challenges around it but I think you know as the po- policy conversation starts taking shape, we, I'm, I'm really hopeful that you know we, we're going to get our hands around it and you know those reality bubbles are going to stop being bubbles and we'll all have one single reality. Yeah, one last thing, and this is more from you know the, the thought that came from the last conversation that we had around training data and you know being able to share data more openly. I do think you know that, um, and this is something that you know that you know I'm betting on is you know we we to see something like a world data forum, right? Like you have the World Economic Forum and a uh, lot of these forums which are operating at a global level. I think once we get out of this pandemic and COVID, we're going to see that uh, renewed surge around how do we share data, but in an ethical manner, while respecting privacy, while uh, we're protecting PII data. The need for a world data forum, being able to collaborate with data across the world, you know, if nothing else, this pandemic has shown us that. So you're going to see more rigor around it. And so so that's why tying it back to a deep fake, I think the rigor, the policies that need to be developed, that in addition to the technologies to identify deep fake, I think it's all gonna come together. So it's not all doom and gloom.
1: (laughs) It's all gonna be fine, Uh, excellent. Uh, Cindy, your thoughts on deep fakes?
2: Uh, I'm just gonna do a couple quick builds. I think one is um, the US defense has, um, identified AI and cybersecurity as one of the top risks. Um, so what happens there? So what if in the deep fake, I think it's going to be legal laws that's going to fix this. I really do. In other words, it'll be anybody that's building deep fake technology will be classified maybe as a high risk like a terrorist. Wow. I mean I think I think we're going to see some really thoughtful points. Like, what is the utility of deed fakes? What are the implications? This is not the way we want our world. And I think it's only going to come with extreme, um, you know, positions. And, and I think there will be financial consequences. There will be legal consequences. Companies will be shut down. Um, if they're building deep fake technology and that's going to happen. And I think that's going to happen relatively fast in the next two years. Then I think to be and Danny, it's going to be a cat and mouse game anyways, because there's, it's out of the bag and it's just going to continue. And it's going to be just part of our new world. There will always be a cat and mouse game, but there'll be severe consequences. And, and I think, um you know i think that they will be uh really brutal uh positions but you know what maybe that's what we need to do clean it up and i guess the question is who's going to start first i don't know
1: Well, that's interesting. It, it, one thing I was thinking when Bina was talking is uh, there are some people who have developed uh, very significant technology and then pulled it back for fear of it being misused. Mm-hmm. GPT-2 uh, recently, right? Uh, pulled back yeah. somewhat. Now you can still get it. It's still here that maybe somewhere, but they pulled it back by and large uh, because it was just too good yeah. at copying you know, human writing. Um, just amazingly well done. Yeah but the legal option is there as well. And super interesting to hear about that, Cindy. Okay, we are 62 minutes in and it has been amazing so far. It has been wonderful. So I wanna finish strong here. Here's the last topic that we're gonna to get to. So we've talked about a lot of issues. We've talked a lot about problems. We've heard some optimism as well uh, on a, a bunch of different levels, ethical, regulatory, others, uh, other levels as well. But let's come to this last point about building responsible AI. What does that look like? How do we do it? Uh, And how do we ensure that that it stays responsible? Uh, One of the things that we see, and I think one of you brought up in one of our prep sessions is that, you know, AI gets developed and then it just kind of runs, you know, (laughs) and and it's running and it's learning who's monitoring that, auditing that, ensuring that it's staying responsible. So who are we going first? I think Bina, you win. Um, What does building responsible AI look like and and how do you develop it? Bina, did you hear me? I think we may have lost Bina. Guess what? Cindy, you win uh, the Who Speaks Next lottery, and we're going with you on responsible AI. Cindy, go for it.
2: Sure. Um, Well, first, uh, I think we mentioned before there are very comprehensive frameworks and ethical frameworks that are, I think, clearly defined. The challenge is is implementing those frameworks uh, into the practices within the organizations, right? So... You know, just to be really clear, you know, a lot of the larger enterprises, they have their data science, AI teams, and they 90% of those models and a lot of our banks, you know, uh, they solve tough problems, but they're not sustained, Right. In Danny's case, he's in a privileged position because he can take AI enablement and work across that whole value chain. I mean, that's exciting. That's, that's big stuff, right? Because you're looking at for an, an enabler. Um, in terms of the responsibility side, I think companies need to put a policy together as well at the at the highest levels. I mean, I think Google's got an ethical policy for AI on their website now. I think Microsoft has one now. You know, people are moving at different paces, but this is a responsibility of the enterprise. It is a legal risk too, you know, in terms of reputational risk, um, in terms of solving a problem that impacts your brand. Um, you know, so I think companies are starting to really, you know, think hard uh, I'm seeing a lot of maturity and I think, you know, uh, you know, Deloitte has a very comprehensive framework for responsible AI that they take their clients through, um, you know, they're all out there on everybody's sites, um, you know, so it's an evolution, um, you know, but I, I, I know we're going to get it right, there's just too many things that I've seen like in the last two years the movement of the what the European Union was saying and all their white papers and positionings actually move into operational practices. We've had a huge multi-billion dollar industry with machine learning operations. I mean, a lot of the software didn't even exist before. Um, you know, you, you're seeing companies like Data Robot, lower cost entries, um, you know, you know, um, Amazon has infrastructure now there with uh, machine learning ops, Azure. So people are really trying to get their inventory right. And they're trying to get the people uh, value chain right. The broken pieces are, you know, I think still at the top, which I'm going to go back because Unless the board directors have a position on what responsible AI means, unless the CEOs have a position, you know, I think a lot of the other people are trying to get things right. But you know, we got to deal with this top layer. And I mean, if, if Canada is representative, I and mean, we're the our country is the size of California, so we're not exactly a huge representative nation. But you know, having spoken and worked with probably a thousand CEOs in different discussions over the last two years you know, we have some huge gaps and, and, and hopefully other countries are moving along at that executive level, but you know, it, that's, that's the weak spot. In the I think.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Cindy. Back to Bina who yeah. had an internet blip. I mean, the AI that controls our lives <laughs> just decided that what she was going to say was too good, too near to the source could not be uttered and spoken, <laughs> but we humanity won. we got Bina back Bina, what does responsible AI look like? How do we develop it, and how do we ensure it stays responsible as it as it evolves?
3: Yeah, and uh, you know, and uh, true story, right? I used to get um, asked to speak at AI ethics events a lot very very often right and uh, till two years ago the uh, at companies and large enterprises the discussion was always around how do we get value from data how do you know how what insights can I drive how do I make my business better by using ai but what I've seen in the last 18 months or so is that the along with that conversation now it's also what are some of the ethical aspects we should be thinking about should we be considering the you know sustainability impact? So that all makes me very excited and that you know so my optimism actually comes from the fact that there is much more interest in the topic around ethics right there is much more awareness now and i'm hopeful i agree with cindy that you know there's still a lot to do in terms of driving A a literacy especially around ethics and risk associated with ai But as we address that uh, aspect of just getting everybody on the same page of how do you think about ethics? What does ethics mean for your industry? What does ethics mean for a specific use case, right? We hear a lot of uh, uh, challenges with facial recognition, completely understand, but it also depends on the use case, right? Facial recognition is very successfully being used in ag tech, in agriculture, to, um, uh, you know, to monitor cows, right? And in there, that's a great use case for that same technology. So, how do you take a technology, look at its application, and think about the ethical implications around it, right? So, thinking structurally around ethics, agreeing at a company wide level, like this is what AI ethics means for us, and this is how we're going to operationalize it. These are the different aspects of ethics that's important whether it's fairness, which is very relevant if you're working with direct consumers, uh, whether it is reliability and robustness, well, if you're working with machines, accountability, things like accountability, which we don't think about in terms of AI, but really if AI goes wrong, at the end of the day, who is, the resp- who is responsible or accountable for it? Is it the data scientist who built it? Is it the CIO? Is it the CEO who's going to face the Senate, right? So thinking about accountability upfront naturally puts a little bit of pressure to not just go about that shiny object of getting to the value from data, right? How do we get more mindful as we develop AI is what's going to help us uh, really get to that responsible, trustworthy AI uh, solutions that we are looking to. For me, one of the biggest challenges, again, is getting more diverse teams. Right? Which, which will naturally drive a lot of these biases in the data and thinking in from different perspectives. Then um, thinking about privacy. right? When we talk about privacy, we tend to normally just talk about how the data is being used in the immediate terms. But as we spoke about earlier, when AI starts looking at data and once it starts trained on that data, can you really retract your data from the system once a model has already been trained on it? And what's the implications of that? Right. So I think ethics has to be taught through very structurally. As Cindy said, there are frameworks around it. I have a framework that you know I've developed myself for Deloitte, Trustworthy AI. And you know, it has to be something that a company organization adopts, trains all their employees on it, and then actually puts the controls in place to make sure that the solutions that you build with AI are ethical.
1: Vina, great stuff. I love the AI for cows. I really want to see that, uh, how that works and what that does. Uh, If that improves milk uh, yields, if that improves cow happiness, uh, wonderful stuff. I'm going to turn to Danny in a second as well for his answer on building responsible AI and how it works, how it should be done, um, how we can ensure that it stays responsible as we continue using it. I'll just mention to everybody who is watching us live, I know a lot of people are going to watch us on record and this won't work for you. But if you are watching live and you have a question, uh, please do ask it. We'll have a couple minutes uh, very shortly to uh, get to those. We have one already. So if you have something else, um, now's your opportunity. Danny, uh, turning to you, uh, you, what are your thoughts around building responsible AI? Yeah, I, I think that responsible
0: AI is going to be at at the core, at the heart of of of, of future business, and the future is 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 very, it's here, yeah. Uh, for decades and decades, we have been used to have you know the board of directors is overseeing the executives, and the executives are overseeing their departments and directors and managers, and uh, they've been engineering solutions, they've been engineering software in in very static ways, yeah, and and just visualize that. Think about. AI, machine learning, data driven systems being these flywheels, yeah, but not just one flywheel, yeah. There are many flywheels in the organization now, and they all optimize and they all interact cross departmental, yeah. If, if you look at, at, at large corporation uh, retail like Amazon, yeah, you have, you have. L- l- hundreds of these flywheels trying to optimize the website, yeah. You have another hundred optimizing the logistics, the supply chain, yeah. I mean, like the company has its own warehouse, it has its own, you know, uh, airplanes, you know, for transport, cars. They do uh, everything from production to delivery of last mile, yeah. There are flywheels everywhere, yeah. And they start interacting and you have start having a highly organic, system like what we see in nature yeah with a lot of interaction you have an ecosystem uh, starting to 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 operate and and the board of directors the executives can no longer say you know in a single statement we don't do this or we don't do that yeah they have to now set guidelines up they have to set a framework up for ensuring that these flywheels they don't spin out of control and and optimize at some extreme uh, societal cost yeah and that's that's the core of a responsible ai yeah? you set up guidelines you set up you, you can't be too specific here you have to just frame it in it's like telling kids you know behave whatever that means yeah it's it's you have to tell your corporation <laughs> to behave yeah and uh I think that's you know we talked about ethics, uh, inclusion, bias, uh, trustworthiness. I think you know personally, and it's just a matter of words. I, I like to put all that under responsible AI. And basically, at the end of the day, uh, you're going to look at it and say, um, I, I, you know, which companies are you going to do business with? Yeah, you're going to do businesses with with companies that you, you. You you trust a, a working with you society uh, in a responsible way. Yeah? You have to think about what what I like to call the three P's. Yeah, it's the it's the people, it's the planet, and there's the profits. Yeah, but it has to be done in a responsible way. And if you're not responsible, and can 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 you can very easily with all these flywheels, you know, end up optimizing in a very very irresponsible way. Yeah? Uh, so I, I, I think that, uh, uh, that uh, our, you know, board of directors, our executives uh, uh, have, have a lot of work, uh, you know, up in, in front here that they have to deal with uh, or they're going to get in trouble.
1: Well, and very clearly they need their own AI because if they've got hundreds of AI systems, smart systems optimizing all over the place, they need an AI to just manage all those and make sure that those are pulling towards a common purpose because, I mean, and I'm sure you've seen it. You probably have, uh, you optimize one thing, you push down the bubble in the wallpaper here and another bubble pops up there. <laughs> Great. One division is doing awesome and the other division is totally sucking. Um, and so <laughs> that is going to be an interesting scenario in the smart. AI driven enterprise.
2: Yeah. One of the quick builds um, I think, I I do believe that the future CEOs, like we've already seen an evolution. uh, If you go back 20 years ago, right? Where most of the CEOs recruiting profile, they had to have an extremely strong finance background, right? To, to move ahead in general management, P and L knowledge and you know i spent a lot of my earlier years in xerox and so they moved me around and so you build all these different disciplines you know to handle and and you know understand all the intricacies but i think what's going to happen is the digital literacy component of these future ceos is going to be very deep and it might be people like with danny's profile or being profile because the reality is with all these flywheels and that's a great analogy it's an orchestration think about this as a as a uh, improvisational jazz band with all of these flywheels moving at different speeds. And you have to have a whole inventory management knowledge of those assets. These are new assets. And you have to look at AI as an asset. If you don't have it and aren't applying it and thinking ahead, you know, you're know you just gonna be destroyed. <laughs> uh, so there's to me, it, and you can create beauty but you got to get on with it in enough analysis, experimentation,
1: Super interesting conversation, guys, and somehow, amazingly, incredibly, you have kept it on an extremely high level and a very informative level and an engaging level for almost 90 minutes. Uh, We do have a few questions, and I'm going to jump to them right now. Ian sent in a question, and Ian, I apologize. I am going to butcher your question and shorten it down very, very much. Ian basically says, hey, a lot of AI seems to basically feed us more of what what it sees that we like. Can we engineer in a serendipity algorithm to give us stuff that we don't know? Uh, counterintuitive recommendations, that sort of thing. Who wants to take that one first? I actually wanna respond very
0: quickly to that. Actually, a good AI is that's what they do. The recommendations at Amazon is not like you buy shoes and they keep showing you shoes. They, they, there's a very deliberate aspect. We call it uh, exploration versus exploitation. Yeah. Uh, exploitation is a kind of nasty word, but exploitation means what we already learned about you, we're going to use more of that. But there's a significant component of exploration. And on the Amazon's website, as an example, there will be products that you have never shown any interest in, but they keep probing. Actually, why do they do that? Because the AI learned that keep probing will actually uncover uh, desires that you perhaps you yourself didn't even know. yeah. So a lot of AIs are actually not necessarily just keep giving you more of what you already did, but it's always trying. Now, the problem is that sometimes it looks like it just gives me what I want. And that's because there's another uh, function in there, which is engagement. Or uh, if, you, if you really uh, spend longer time on Facebook, when you read Provocative stuff. They're going to give you more of that, yeah. So, as I said, there are many flywheels in function here, yeah. But, but do not simplify AI. It, it, it actually does uh, does in many many cases explore a lot more than you think.
1: Well, that just when we were feeling all good about everything, now the AI knows us better than we know ourselves and is suggesting things that we don't yet know that we want. Oh. Uh, that's wonderful. That's excellent. I wish that they would tell all the retargeting companies so that picture of the shoes that I looked at once and said, no, wouldn't follow me around for a couple months. But uh, yeah, not all AI is smart yet and not all retargeting companies uh, have that either. Here's another question. And maybe I'll turn this one to Cindy. Uh, I don't know who this is from, so this is from Anonymous. Uh, Mark Cuban recently announced he would commit $2 million to expand a program he founded that aims to teach AI skills at no cost to high school students in low-income communities across the country. What other steps can the private sector take to help meet the demand for skilled workers in the areas of AI and ML? Cindy, your thoughts.
2: Well, um, I'll just speak to what I can see through the lens that I've got access to. I think one is, you know, create relationships with your universities. Like in Canada, we've got some really amazing AI institutes. We've got the Vector Institute with the University of Toronto. We've got Mila in Montreal. We have another major institute in actually in Alberta where Robert's from. So I always say create those relationships so that you've got access to this talent. You know, we've stressed today that you need diversity of talent. So like in Canada, we have OCAD, which has some amazing user interface and creative design people. Um, So, you know, always keeping a lens on that. Um, Tapping in, I mean, I use LinkedIn all the time and I meet all these amazing people. My Forbes channels allowed me to meet so many people, um, you know, so you have to work it. I mean, these skills are in high demand and, you know, sessions like this help, right? But don't expect to find them easily, right? Some of the best, the best of the best. I mean, I'm working on a a really interesting project on emotion and sound. And in terms of AI, and, and that's a whole interesting area, but trying to find the right scientists with the right expertise, um, I mean, people can be an expert just in gait, how I walk in my body language only is one, you know, you know, area where just AI algorithms are being developed. So when we talk about this kind of like the term flywheel, Danny, I think I'm going to use that. You know, so you have to be very alert to, you know, what problem you want, what skills you want, and then really double down hard to to get the relevancy. Um, It's not one size fits all. I think if people think like that, because there's so many dimensions of AI, it's just a huge brand. You know, there's so many disciplines. The more I spend time, I mean, I was on a call earlier today with a team in England, I was solving a who'd be predictable, predicting VIPs. And you know, we were talking about five different clustering algorithms. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, you know, there's so, so many aspects, you, you know, find friends uh, that are knowledgeable and, and, you know, I guess reach out to everybody here on LinkedIn that's on this show and uh, build new networks. Um, you know, it, it's constantly changing. You, you can never set still.
1: Cindy that makes a ton of sense there is so much no there is only a beginning right here and this is part of that beginning so that's great there's so much more I just want to thank everybody who has participated here Bina, Danny, Cindy uh, seriously truly great insights Uh, this has been a pleasure uh, to have this conversation I hope it's been wonderful for everybody who has been participating in it already live and who will be uh, very very soon thank you so much for your time